You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 352. Hey, hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. You are going to get this in your ear holes right after Gen Con, but we're recording right as Gen Con's kind of beginning. And so please excuse us if we're a little bit sad today. (laughs) We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, who is also not a Gen Con, Anitra. That's me. (laughs) Well, we hope everybody who's out in Indianapolis is having a great time. I was there two weeks ago. It's a lovely city. It's just there weren't as many board games as I would have liked. Oh, man. But I'm glad to be doing this again. How about you, Anitra? I'm glad to be doing it, too. Um, It feels weird to now have the bigger gap between shows. Weird, but good. Weird, but good. I think that is an accurate description of life. I mean, of what's going on <laughs> with the podcast. Right? I mean, and life. Now. Sure. <laughs> but it's okay We still have all of those things that help you love the Family Gamers podcast, like a fact. I have a fact about our episode 352. Would you like to hear it, Anitra? I would. All right. This fact is coming from space.com. It's coming from space? It's coming from space. It is is coming from space. So here, here we go. A pair of gas giant exoplanets was found orbiting a distant sun-like star Thanks to the help of citizen scientists around the world. Hmm. This actually happened two years ago, but that's fine. I was going to say, I, I vaguely remember hearing about this. All right. So members of the NASA-funded Planet Hunters Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite Test Project discovered the two planets around a distant star called HD 152843, which is located how far away from Earth, Anitra? I'm going to guess 352 light years. 300. 52 light years away from Earth. The yes. star has a mass similar to that of the sun, but is nearly 1.5 times the size, a little bit bigger and slightly brighter, according to a NASA statement. The inner planet, HD 152843b, is about three times bigger than the Earth or about the size of Neptune. The outer planet, HD 152843c, is almost six times bigger than Earth and 27.5 times more massive. Wow making it a sub-Saturn, it says. Why am I sharing this? Because we, the Family Gamers, believe that regular people are capable of great things. And this is an example of two regular people finding freaking planets in space, and that's just cool. Yeah. So that's my fact about our episode number 352. Very cool. We also have a message from our sponsor. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a young couple earning a combined $100,000 a year with a net worth of around $25,000 and the goals of buying a home and starting a family in the next few years. With this pretend client wanting to prepare for having children, we would want to explore what that means to them. Some families want a spouse to be able to stay home. Others want to keep both spouses working and will have to think through childcare from both a cost standpoint as well as a care standpoint. As we get more of a clear view of what they want their family to look like when a child has been added, we can start making changes to their current situation to reflect what it will be like later. 
If they want to be a one income family, we want to work toward only being reliant on that one income prior to adding a child to the mix. Keeping in mind that children can be expensive and their current spending will need to adjust further as they go. If you want to talk through your specific situation and how to achieve your goals, set up a time to talk for free at firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. All right. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. Well, one of the uh, side benefits of the longer break is that we have more games that we've been playing. (laughs) And it being the first show of August... We have our monthly report to talk about as well. Yeah, we can do that too. So lots going on. First thing on this list, I'm going to talk about the game Bonsai. I think I might have mentioned this on the last show. Bonsai is coming out or has just come out, I guess, or been announced with its kind of limited release at Gen Con and is going to be officially available first week of September from DV Games. Bonsai is a tile-laying game where you are laying small hexagonal tiles out as wood and leaves and flowers and fruit to actually build a bonsai tree. Grow. You're growing a tree. Okay, you're growing a bonsai tree. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. And I really, really like this game a lot. This is a very much kind of peaceful experience. It doesn't feel super aggressive. The only significant player interaction is drafting cards or achieving goals before another player, kind of like a mm-hmm. like a Baron Park or, or something like that. It's very similar in terms of the type of player interaction that you're going to have in, a, in this game versus something like that. I really like it. It's beautiful. The box is gorgeous. I'm sure that this was a hit at Gen Con, even though Gen Con hasn't happened yet, technically. But this is Bonsai from DV Games. Our review for this went live last week. And you can definitely check it out. A lot of fun. I really, really like it. Yeah, I really liked it too. The hexagonal tiles and the way the goals and stuff are structured means that you can be pretty freeform with how you put your tree together, which means that even if everybody is trying for exactly the same goals, their trees are not going to look exactly the same. And I like that. Yeah, it is really freeform. I mean, the the there are placement restrictions, but they're pretty minor. The wood has to touch wood leaves have to touch wood flowers have to touch leaves and fruit have to be nestled between leaves and can't be next to each other and that's pretty much it and you can build however you want to so you Mm -hmm. really get these like weird bent trees just like bonsai Mm -hmm. which i think is really neat yeah Mm -hmm. we have also been playing some more fika yeah we have so the short version is i hate this game less than i did (laughs) the first time we played it i think A lot of it is just that the art and everything about the way the game is set up says like, oh, this is a cozy coffee shop. And, you know, it's going to be this cozy couples kind of game. And it's not. It's super cutthroat. And you have to play of a how can I arrange my stuff and stop you from getting points that you have to play that way. Yeah, I agree. It is very mean. Uh, This is a game where you have to be super kind of tactical Mm -hmm. with what you're doing and if you're really careful you can pretty much ruin someone's game at the very very end after they think it's going well yeah if you want to and that's just mean like this game has a mean streak to it and i think that out of everybody that i've talked to that has played this and it hasn't just been you and me the mismatch in expectations versus reality i think is the most jarring part about it i think mechanically the game is fine It's a fairly simple, straightforward, short game, 
and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, it's not what you want when you open a box with the art and the theme. It that says you have cozy coffee shop. It doesn't say right cozy. Box. It doesn't say cozy. <sighs> if you look it up, I looked at I looked at it, I looked at it yes, today yes, in advance okay. of the show. It doesn't say cozy. The cutthroat coffee shop. It doesn't game. say cutthroat either. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I think it says clever. I think that's what it says yeah. in the box. We have also been playing some nerd words science. So we're going to be doing a snap review for this real soon, but I don't think it'll be in this podcast. The short version is this is a really cool and clever word guessing and cluing game, and it keeps everybody involved all the time, which is great, even though it's a team based game. But the recommended age on it is 13 plus, and I think that's 100% right because it's all of these rather complicated science terms, younger kids just aren't going to have the vocabulary to be able to make good guesses. I think, I don't know, this game is way harder than I expected it to be. Way harder. And I don't know if that's because I don't know as much science as I thought I did, maybe? I'm, I'm not really sure. I certainly think that the limitations in this game with regards to the fact that the words that you give as clues have to start with letters that are in the answer word make you think harder. And I yeah. really appreciate the educational aspect of how this game makes you think about an answer and rip it apart and put it back together and think about its component parts in order to figure out how to get a clue that meets the requirements to be able to be a clue. Like I yeah, really yeah, like that exactly. about it and it really makes you think about the subject matter, but it makes this game harder for sure. I do wish we had had a chance to play this in a larger group because I think a big group of teens and adults would probably bring more to this game. It was still fun at three and four players, but I think it would be less disturbing of like, I have no idea what this clue is supposed to mean if you had more minds to bounce off of. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. I I really think that just the reality of us trying to play it at three players and then four players, I just don't think it's enough brains. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's playable at two players as well, but I'm not sure I really want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. All right, the next game that I'm going to talk about is a game that, Anisha, you haven't played yet. Nope. So we got a box from Funko maybe a week ago, maybe a little bit more than a week ago. I don't even know. And uh, we did a little unboxing on video on uh, Facebook. We put the video on the Family Gamers community and asked people to vote what game did they want to hear us talk about first. And we did get some votes for Animated, the Disney game, but by far the most votes was for Star Trek Cryptic. Now, full disclosure, we are a Trekkie family. We generally like all science fiction, but we definitely are Trekkies. And each and I just finished up season three of Picard. Mm-hmm. So, you know. It's in our blood, right? Anyway, Star Trek Cryptic is interesting. So this is, they call it a puzzles and pathways game. Basically what this is, is you are in like Starfleet Academy or something like that, or you're a fresh ensign just getting started. And what you're trying to do is solve these puzzles over the course of a narrative to get the most merits to achieve a higher rank. Like that's the, okay, the, sure. the your rank is the MacGuffin of the game, basically. Sure, sure, sure. The good thing about this is the way that the game is structured, if you run into a puzzle that you can't solve, there's really no negative impact to that other than you don't get the rewards of solving the puzzle. So it's not like certain games where if you don't solve the puzzle, you can't move forward in the game, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. really sucks. Like it doesn't have that problem. 
So I sat down with Elliot, our nine-year-old, our youngest, because he really wanted to play this game. And I was like, you know what? He is the big tricky of our I'm going to attempt to be a good dad, and I'm going to play this game with just him. And the other kids can play if they want to, and they would have rather played video games or read books or something. So just Elliot and I sat down to play this. And it's a really good mix of puzzles. So when you open the box, there's basically three ships. And we haven't, we've, we've done one of the ships. Right, so there's an em- there's three envelopes in the box. There's a couple of tools I'll say that you're going to share, like a piece of clear plastic and a, a dry erase marker, some stuff like that. But the bulk of the box is these three large envelopes, and the one we did was I think the USS Euclid. So you open up this envelope, and there's you know some stuff in it, uh, and then there's this guidebook, and the guidebook is it's actually one guidebook for all three. So I guess that's out of the envelope too. And you just literally start at the beginning, and you read. There's like personal log, start date, blah, 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 right? So you read the personal log and you can kind of tell if you've played games like this, like, okay, there's a little bit of foreshadowing in the personal log. Like you just kind of, you know what I mean? Like it's a Star Trek game, whatever. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing. And then you run into all of these different kinds of puzzles. And some of the puzzles will be things like put the piece of plastic on this image, mark the start, then take the plastic off. And while looking at the image, draw the path and avoid all of the bad things, right? Mm -hmm. So- it's pretty like I, I think we've kind of seen stuff like this. I think we've the uh, first time I ever saw something like this was in like a Wii game or something where you had to draw the path. It was like a Mario Party or something like that. Mm-hmm, I don't remember, mm-hmm. but you get the idea. So you're trying to draw this path, and then when you're when you think you're done, you put it back on top of. You actually flip the picture over, and it has like highlights of where all the bad stuff is. And if you hit certain things or whatever, you lose merits off of the total merit value of the puzzle. And you can't go negative, right? Sure, but sure. at the end of it, like the worst thing that happens is you just didn't get any merits for that puzzle. And then there's like ciphers and then there's other kinds of issues that you need to kind of work out. And I would say the first one, like if you are adults who play board games and are familiar with escape room and a box games, you're pretty much going to crush it. There were a few things where I really let Elliot push the process along and I would kind of have to give him hints and stuff like that but Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. there was only one puzzle where I was like I don't know what to do with this and then it turned out there was actually something wrong with the puzzle Um, so that's kind of a negative I guess but for the most part like it's really more about just kind of enjoying the escape room Star Trekiness of it and I would say this is the first of the three so presumably they get harder Uh, I think Elliot is going to want to play the next one with you Anitra okay but if you do it right and you can there's nothing destructible here so if you give it to so you could give it to someone else they would be able to tell that it was used but it's not like you're you have to write on pages like there was one page where it's clearly easier to figure things out by writing on it so we just put the clear plastic over it and use the dry erase marker and it worked fine so um if you care about reusability at least so far definitely a game that you could reuse if you wanted to all right cool and it definitely feels like a Star Trek game. Like, it's got that DNA. Haven't run into the board yet. Spoiler. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like they're coming. <laughs> it's a Star Trek game. Well, sadly, I, I looked it up while you were talking. I was like, USS Euclid. That sounds familiar. They're one of the ships that fights the Borg. <laughs> well. So, you know. But each of the envelopes is a different ship. Sure, sure. So, I mean, we finished with the Euclid. So, I, oh, I don't know. Unless I don't know. Unless maybe we're on some other ship and the Euclid's the next one, and in which case, whoops, sorry. But anyway, know. we'll see. It, it definitely like 
you don't see any of the major characters that you would recognize from the show, but it definitely has like a TNG feel. Uh, there's, I mean, we're talking about Klingons and they've got, you know, the forehead ridges and stuff. Like it's got, it's got TNG kind of motif to it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. That's cool. Yep. It's good. I'm a fan so far. I also got our big kids to play big top with me. At some point, we're going to play this with four players, uh, but it's only playable at three players or four players. So I've played it twice now at three players. Big Top is a bidding game with a circus theme. I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Having played it twice now, I really am enjoying the weirdness of the bidding. Yeah, it is weird, right? I mean, we talked about it on the show before. It is weird. You're incentivized to make specific number bids because those will get you closer to your your goals of of activating the cards that you already have but you're also working through all of the normal you know open turn bidding ideas in your head of like oh well if i bid this maybe that's high enough that nobody else will take it or maybe i can just bump it up a little bit so that the next person will have to pay more and I won't actually have to take this thing. And having those additional goals in there of like, oh, well, at some point in the game, I really need to bid two on something. I really need to bid 12 on something. Do those numbers make sense with my other goals of wanting to get this current card or not wanting to get this current card? So I think it's really clever in the way it's put together. It's a little tough that it's only three or four players, but I'm hoping we can get at least one play in with four players and see if anything significant changes with that. Uh, and then we'll be starting to get ready to review that one. I mean, I can't imagine anything significant is going to change. I think it's just going to put more money into the game. So the bidding might be a little bit higher. I think that, you know, having gotten used to playing it at three players, our bids might be weird for a while while we adjust to there being more money in the game. Maybe, or maybe not because I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to put more money in the game. One of the weird things about the way the bidding works in the game is that you have an auctioneer each turn or each round. And if the auctioneer wins the auction, then all of the money that they have to pay goes back to the bank. It takes money out of the game when the auctioneer wins versus, you know, everything else has money coming into the game, at least at a slow trickle. Uh Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to play it and find out. Yeah. All right, next, what was this, for Saturday morning? We uh, we pulled out an oldie but a goodie, I'll say. And uh, we actually played a five-player game of Century Golem Edition. Yeah, I've really been wanting our whole family to just sit down and play a game together for a while. And we haven't had a chance to do that for weeks yeah we've been really busy i think the last time we did was splito which was like three weeks ago now so yeah and also you know this is one of those things we talk about this kind of stuff a lot like it's just easier to do that in the morning but the mornings are even less available (laughs) right like we're all in the same place at night but we're all like you know what i mean it's like i'm just done Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so it was a saturday morning where we miraculously didn't have anything planned and, of course, we're busy next Saturday morning and probably the Saturday after that. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we were able to play a game of Century. And, I mean, I was just kind of enjoying my engine and I got absolutely wrecked. By me. Yeah, by you. Yeah. I mean, what else is new? 
It is one of those fun things, though. We talk about this sometimes with, especially when we can actually pull together a five-player game. It's interesting to see different personalities and different strategies emerge from our children in particular and see kind of how it works together, how they're approaching the game and how that reflects what's going on in in their lives. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is very telling for me is when they lose, how they react. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not a definitive kind of a thing, but it certainly helps me see whether or not they saw it coming, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, you know, it, it's good. It's good to know. Good to yeah. see. All right. And then we just have one more. Mm-hmm. So also in that Funko box, we had a game of Something Wild. Yeah, this is a really interesting game. So Something Wild is, there's there's like 10 or 12 different Something Wilds out there in the wild. Ha ha ha. <laughs> anyway, each one of them has a figurine. And if you've ever played like Zeus on the Loose from Game Right, it's kind of this little, I don't know, t- maybe two inch tall figurine. The one we have is Steamboat Willie. I mean, these are definitely modeled after a Funko Pop, but just shrunk way down. Sty- yeah, they're stylized like a Funko Pop. And all of the Something Wilds are Disney-themed. Disney and, properties, yeah. Yeah. And and what this game is, it's it's almost kind of like a rummy-ish kind of a game where you're trying to play sets, uh, either three of the same color or a run, a three-card uh, run. And if you are able to do that, you're playing single cards out into your tableau. But once you get one of these runs, you win the card in the middle and the first player to win two cards? Three. Three cards will win the game. But, of course, there is something wild. Yeah, so that card in the middle has some kind of special power on it, which you can use at the end of your turn if you currently have the little figurine guy. Um, And there are two ways you can get the figurine. One is by playing a card on your turn that matches the color of the central card. That gives you the the little guy. Or some of the cards you can play have a little, like, take the guy icon on them. When you have the guy, you can use the power of the card in the center. Or you can use the power of any card that you currently have in front of you. So if you already won one or two, then you can use those powers as well. It makes it easier to move forward and make those sets faster. It is surprisingly well-balanced. I thought for sure that once Andrew had had won one or two in a row, I was like, oh man, this is going to be terrible. But it's just enough of a bump to let you feel some accomplishment without actually unbalancing the game. So I liked that part. It's a very simple game, but there's a place for that. Yeah, I mean, this is a 8-plus game or something to that effect, right? This is a family weight game. It's not designed to be difficult. It's not designed to be complicated. And it's just fun. Uh, one of the other things that's really interesting and cool about this is that you can actually combine decks together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you do that, the way that it works, you can kind of tell which of the cards relate to which of the decks. And so if you combine decks together, you've got multiple characters, that, like these little figurines that are kind of bouncing back and forth across the board. So you could have one or the other or both. And if you have, you know, say the Steamboat Willie, then if you have a Jack Skellington power, you can't use that because you need the Jack Skellington figure to do that power. Like, so there's some really interesting things about kind of the dynamics and how it all works together if you elect to combine some of these decks. But the game works perfectly fine with one of them. So I don't know. It's nice. Yeah. 
I think that's it slash enough. I think there's probably yeah. some other games that we've played, but I think that's enough for now. It is, however, time to talk about the monthly report. Yes, let's do that. All right. How many games you got in July, Anitra? I have 24 unique games Ugh. for a total of 43 plays. Ugh. Ugh. How many do you have, honey? What, what game did you play the most? It should not really surprise anyone that the game I played the most was River Wild with a shocking 12 plays. I really played it a ton to get ready to review it a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Well, I have 13 unique games for 20 plays. Okay. I have an H index of two. I played Fika, Mandala, and Skulls of Sedlec two times. I played Unpublished Prototype five times. Ah, nice. Yeah. That Unpublished Prototype, of course, is my game, which I'm still not talking about, but I will be soon. Well, I have an H index of three. Obviously, River Wild is in there, but also Miller Zoo got quite a bit of play as well, and Fika. So I only have one play of Miller Zoo on here, which tells me that I probably forgot to track a couple of plays of Miller Zoo, but that's okay. Uh, Possibly, except I also played a solo game of Miller Zoo, and I played one or two with just our children. So, yeah, but I definitely played it a bunch of times. Yeah, but I think most of that was probably in June <laughs> and uh, not in July. Uh, I could be wrong. I played it twice in June. So I don't know. Anyway, 67% of my games were played at home. It looks like roughly 70% of my games were played at two players. And my honestly, my division of days of the week is pretty even with Thursday slightly winning over Tuesday. Um, I played 88% of my games at home. So That's because you played them with our kids. You know, and all of those games of River Wild <laughs> were also <laughs> at home. <laughs> So anyway, if you would like to share the games that you have been playing, you can always send us a message on Facebook or on Twitter, X, whatever, uh, or you can email us. We'll share all that information at the end of the show, but we'd love to know what kinds of games you're playing and just how badly you put me to shame. I think that's a good time to take a break. Sure. I think we might as well stick the snap review for Riverwild in here so you all can see why I played it 12 times. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. We'll do that. And then when we come back, we'll welcome our new community members before we jump into our topic, which we haven't even talked about literally at all. Should we tease the topic? Yes. Okay. We are going to talk about simultaneous play. Top five simultaneous play games and it's not really a top five. You know, we don't really like doing the tops in that way, but our favorite five simultaneous play games. All right. We'll be right back. This is a snap review for River Wild, a solo game by Stephen Aramini and published by Buttonshy. River Wild is intended for one player age 8 and up to play in under 15 minutes. Let's start by talking about the art here. Milan Zivkovic illustrated River Wild as a land at twilight. Under a starry sky, the water looks pink and the land is a dusky purple. Every card in the game depicts one of four fantasy animals. Dragon, unicorn, jackalope, or frog. There's a scoring condition for some other animal type on the opposite side of the river that runs down the middle of each card. 
The animals are clear, detailed outlines, but without faces, so they don't have much of a personality. They feel more like the idea of an animal to protect rather than a tangible thing. The scoring goals are the most saturated things on the cards, naturally drawing my eyes, so I spent more time looking at those. So let's talk about the mechanics. How do we play this game? The goal of River Wild is to direct the path of the river in such a way that the wildlife will thrive. Start with just the river source on the table. Leave plenty of space below it, because this is where you'll be building out the path of the river. Then, draw three cards from the deck to be your hand. You'll draw a new card after every turn, as long as there are cards left. Play a card from your hand onto the table, connecting its river with either a river or a mountain on the card above it, and its land with land or a mountain. A card can either be directly in line with the card above it, or offset by half, like a pyramid layout. You must place the card upright. Water only flows downhill, of course. But you can use either side of the card. They're mirror images of each other. You're trying to create protected lands. These are gapless areas of land that are completely surrounded by river and possibly also some mountains. Once you've played all 16 cards in the game, it's time to score. Each protected land scores two points. Then it scores any goals within that land that are fulfilled by the animals in that land. There are also runestones that act like an animal of your choice for the two lands that they're adjacent to. For example, this land has a frog and a runestone. If I treat the runestone as a dragon, then this frog and dragon goal scores for four points, and this single frog goal also scores for two points. The three frog goal does not score because there's only one frog in this land. The largest land scores only half points for all of its fulfilled goals. That's what this smaller upper number means. When you're all done, check your score against the ranks in the rules. Did you make an embarrassing environment? Or a sublime sanctuary? Or maybe something in between? What did I expect from this game? As a solo game that's basically about laying down cards in patterns to fulfill goals, I can't help but compare River Wild to the Sprawlopolis series, which Stephen Aramini also had a hand in. It seemed like this would be a more straightforward puzzle than Sprawlopolis, but also a lot more restricted. You can only ever place cards downriver, and only in one specific orientation. Saving fantasy animals is a pretty unusual theme, though, and I liked that. Let's talk about what surprised me in River Wild. First of all, the rules. I am used to button-shy rules, they're usually these little pamphlets. This particular game uses lots of examples in the rules, which is great and helpful, but the pictures are tiny! I had to go online to find a copy of the rules that I could enlarge, so I could actually interpret what these examples were supposed to mean. It also took me a while to begin to understand the balance of selecting high point-value goals to fill, and closing off as many lands as possible. I still feel like I'm not really great at that. The balance is not quite there for me. There's a lot of constraints on how to place cards, and you can easily make a bad choice that limits your future placement options. There's only a few basic layouts of the river and the land on the cards, so you could have three cards with functionally identical layouts where none of them are a good fit for what you've already built. 
I also found it frustrating that I could only use the animal or the goal on most cards. These outside edges that define the map can't ever be part of a protected land. In all, the design of Riverwild leaves me feeling vaguely uncomfortable about the choices I have to make, abandoning some creatures and goals to try to save others. So, would I recommend Riverwild? I think it's an interesting puzzle, but I don't love it. There are a few twists in how the game works, and not everyone will enjoy figuring out the puzzle or having to leave some creatures behind. It is still a pretty good choice for solo gamers who love fantasy creatures and don't mind playing over and over again to try to improve their score. I'm going to rate Riverwild three fantasy creatures out of five. You can buy it directly from Buttonshy Games for about $12. And that's Riverwild in a snap. And we're back. Hello. So we're going to open this half of the show by welcoming our newest community members. We have three new members to the community. We actually have some groups and some companies that have joined as well, and we just don't welcome them on the show. It's just kind of what we do. So I'm going to get the welcoming started by saying hello to Sarah. Hello to Vernus. And welcome to Stefan. Thanks so much for joining the community. We hope that you are getting some good content out of it. We hope that you feel comfortable sharing. We would love to welcome you to the family, which is almost 700 people. I know. It's great. That reunion is going to be bananas. (laughs) (laughs) With lots of games to play. So many games. All right. Well, I mentioned at the end of the first half of the show that we were going to talk about simultaneous play games. Anisha, what is a simultaneous play game? Well, it is a game where everyone plays at the same time. That tracks. Why we're talking about this is because we have been playing a lot of games lately that you spend a lot of time waiting for your turn to come. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to talk about games where you don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, and we've talked about simultaneous play in the past, about how valuable it is as a tool for getting younger gamers to play games. They typically don't have the attention span that an older gamer would, and you can't just be like, well, grow up and have an attention span to... (laughs) a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old. It just doesn't really work that way. So simultaneous play is a really great way to get those kids playing without sacrificing something or begging them to stay interested or anything like that. Yeah. There's a lot of different kinds of simultaneous play games that kind of generally slot into a few different categories. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So on a broad level... There are categories where many or most of the games in that category are simultaneous play. For example, anytime you see a game that has a timer or is played, quote unquote, in real time, that's usually going to be played simultaneously. Usually. That's a pretty good bet that everybody's going to be doing something. And if not, it's definitely something where there's a there's a larger transition. It's typically not each person is individually taking that amount of time. Yeah. For example, Miller Zoo, which we talked about recently, is a sort of a real-time game. It's not timed, but it is a game with no turns. Everybody can just play. And you do spend a little bit of time talking out to say, well, if I do this, then you can do this. But it's more or less simultaneous. Yeah, it's kind of like everybody is discussing and then you kind of agree on a plan and then you move the pieces around to execute the plan that you talked about. Yeah. What else? Uh, Most 
closed drafting games are simultaneous play. Uh, I think we've talked a little bit about drafting in the past, but closed drafting is where everybody is looking at like a hand of cards or something and picking one, and then you're going to end up passing on to the next person. So that includes Sushi Go and all of its descendants. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Most of its descendants. Most of its descendants. Because these are closed and each person is picking from a different set, everybody can pick at the same time. Right. That is different from an open drafting game where you might have a set of cards that is put out and everybody picks one in turn. That's technically not considered simultaneous play. Right. Many closed bidding or voting games are also simultaneous play. So our favorite example in this genre is Go Nuts for Donuts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it would also include games like For Sale. It also includes games where there's a component of them that have this kind of simultaneous part to it. Like I think of games like Gutenberg, which has a bidding component to it, or Isle of Sky has a bidding component to it. So those aren't games that I would really strictly consider simultaneous play games, but just try to explain what we're talking about with this bidding mechanic. Yeah, that part of the game would be simultaneous play because that is everyone is then looking at what's in their hand and picking something or writing a bid down or whatever at the same time. And then everyone reveals simultaneously and then you kind of shake out who gets what. Mm -hmm. Another great genre for simultaneous play is roll and write. Yeah, not every roll and write is. Some of them are turn-based, but lots and lots of roll and writes are simultaneous play. Uh, This includes Merchants of Magic, which is a family favorite here. Welcome to your perfect home. Mm -hmm. Color it, which we've mentioned before. So some roll and writes actually have the exact opposite of what I said before, where there's a sequence of open drafting, but then everything else in the game is simultaneous. So an example of this would be something like Three Sisters from 25th Century Motor City Game Works, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where everybody has to pick something in sequence, but then all of the implementation, which is what really takes the most time, is something that uh, happens simultaneously. Stamp Farm, which we recently reviewed, mm-hmm. has an aspect of that. Sure. The person who rolled the dice gets to pick a die that is their die, and then everyone gets some choice of stamps simultaneously Mm -hmm. after that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a couple of other timed games. Fuse, Mm -hmm. Flatline, Five Minute Dungeon. Mm -hmm. Those are all games where you you are racing cooperatively towards a goal. And so everybody is just doing stuff at the same time and you have to pay attention to what other people are doing. You may occasionally have to sequence things, but... Everybody's working at the same time. Right. Another game that we talked about fairly recently that definitely qualifies in this time-driven simultaneous play is Magic Maze. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So everybody needs to kind of pay attention to all four of the characters on the board to facilitate moving any of them. And sometimes you are kind of getting in somebody else's face in a way with the big red pawn to be like, (laughs) you need to be paying attention over here Mm -hmm, to this thing mm -hmm. in order to make something happen. There are a lot of matching, I guess I would call them matching games, that are simultaneous play as well. Everything from Spot It, where everyone is looking and whoever sees the match first gets it, to things like Happy Salmon Mm -hmm. and Throw Throw Burrito, where you're going through your own stuff quickly 
looking for matches and everyone is looking for matches kind of in their own set of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) There is also, we mentioned nerd words, first half of the show. A lot of word guessing games would qualify as simultaneous play. Sometimes there's like some phase shifting, I guess I would call it. In a game like a game like Just One, where one person is going to have to try to guess what the word is. So everybody else is doing something while that one person is waiting. And then that one person is doing something while everybody else is waiting. So there's a little bit of a back and forth there, but everybody is engaged the whole time. Another game like that is Similo, mm-hmm. where the clue giver gives a clue and then everybody else is discussing and trying to figure out what that clue might possibly mean. One of my favorites is So Clover, where everybody is generating clues all at the same time, and then you are taking turns revealing your clues, and the entire table is trying to guess the answers. That really kind of represents this idea of simultaneous play as well. And then you get into all like the apples-to-apples style games. All of those are games where everybody's making a decision at once. I would say that most of these like you said, have a phase thing where you kind of have a cluing turn and a guessing turn, mm-hmm. you know, or a, you know, throwing your your guesses in and then a judging turn, but they're pretty simultaneous. Here's one that's fully simultaneous, Blob Party, mm-hmm. because there's no cluing turn. Everybody sees the word and then everyone's trying to come up with a clue that goes with it. You reveal and you see who matches and who doesn't. Yeah, and I mean, the thing that's happening here is that everybody, generally speaking, is reacting to some kind of common, I don't know, catalyst, mm-hmm. and everybody mm-hmm. is doing their own thinking. Yes. Right? And the their thinking is not dependent on other people, so they don't have to wait for other people. So you're going to see a lot of these kinds of games work really well, like online or something like that, mm-hmm. in an asynchronous mm-hmm. setting where everybody can do their part on their own time and then come back together and kind of adjudicate what has happened. Yeah, especially when there's not a a timed aspect to it. It's not about getting there first or anything. It's just you do your thinking, you submit, and then once everybody has their answer. Another one I played recently online actually was High Clue, which has very weird cluing. (laughs) Very weird. Uh, Somebody told me that you're supposed to figure out how to put your clues together in the form of a haiku, and I'm like, no. No, there's no chance. (laughs) I think the last category that we have on this list before we get into our actual top five is simultaneous tiling games. So we've talked about My City, um, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is the kind of legacy tiling game from Cosmos, Scarabia from Blue Orange, or Karuba from uh, Haba, which is really kind of like the quintessential simultaneous tiling game, I think. Oh, how about Tiny Towns? Tiny Towns is so good. We should play that game more. We like, should play No matter that how much we play more. it, we should play it more. <laughs> All right. So that's a whole bunch of kind of categories of games that tend to fill this gap. And by the way, the reason why we say that is because you might have a game that we didn't talk about that is in one of these categories, and you should share that with us so that mm-hmm. we can talk about it on mm-hmm. the next show. A little bit of back talk, that thing we don't take from our kids, but we take it from you. But I want you to hold on to your butts because we do have five games that are our top five simultaneous play games. So if it's one of these five, I mean, I guess you can write to us anyway. We'll take all feedback. But, you know, (laughs) you have to give us credit for mentioning these. That's, I guess, all I'm saying. Yeah. So 
these are our top five simultaneous play games, games that our family really enjoys. Mm-hmm. First one is a game that probably is going to surprise absolutely nobody, I think, and that is Fleet the Dice Game. To be fair, we kind of went back and forth between this one and Merchants of Magic. They're both roll and rights that have that simultaneous feel, but uh, Fleet does it really well. Yeah, so here's the thing. So technically, Fleet has that open draft piece to it where everybody's got to wait. It actually happens twice in the game. Mm-hmm. First half, second half, and Merchants of Magic doesn't have that. So technically, Merchants of Magic would qualify as more of a simultaneous play game than Fleet the Dice game would, but I just feel like Fleet the Dice game is kind of the, especially with all the combos, and you got to give people time to work out their combos and figure out the next thing and make a decision and all that stuff. It's not quite that involved in Merchants of Magic, although with the expansion it might be, but um, Fleet the Dice game is really just this perfect example of the crunchy roll and write that's not too, too crunchy, but it definitely has a lot of simultaneous planning and back and forth and combos and changing stuff and, and all this stuff. And it's just, it's just so good. It really hits a great spot for a lot of gamers. And so that's why I made the top five. Yeah. And again, this top five is not ranked. This is just five games. Yes. That, and in fact, what we tried to do is take five games that represent the genre differently. So it's almost unfair to compare them to each other. In <laughs> yes. A lot of ways. They are not ranked at all. It's just, mm-hmm. we needed to pick five. Yeah. So our next one in the top five is The Quacks of Quedlinburg. Yes. As we've mentioned many times before, this is a favorite with our family, in part because it's simultaneous. Uh, it would keep our youngest interest even when other games would not. I would say even two years ago when he was seven, he could play this game. Yeah. He wasn't winning, but he got the idea. He understood all the stuff and he was able to play. And then when the Herb Witches expansion came out, we were able to play at five players, mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm. I mean, Quacks Quedlinburg is excellent. All right. And then we've got to give props to our favorite drafting game. Yes. Our favorite drafting game that we did not mention earlier is Draftosaurus. Mm-hmm. Now, our 12-year-old, for some reason that I none of us can understand, hates this game. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's a big fan of any drafting game, but he just doesn't particularly like Draftosaurus. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I would still say it's our family's favorite drafting game. You got the cute dinosaur meeples. I love the fact that you're not constantly trying to reevaluate what the point values are of the things in your hand because that's always all in front of you on your board. Mm. All that you're passing around are the cute little dinosaur meeples. So you look at them and you say, well, I really want you know this color here, this color here, this color here. And then the restriction gets rolled and you're like, well, I guess I'll take this one. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting with this game because it has a very different dynamic than a game like Fleet. So one of the things about Fleet the Dice game that's so good is that most of the time the answer to the question, can I do X, is yes. But that's not true with Draftosaurus. And sometimes that actually works as a benefit to the game where it's like, well, like I only have three choices for this one thing that I need to do. So it brings that like decision difficulty down because you don't have so many things like sometimes in fleet it's like okay well i could put this one thing here and i have triggered this effect but i put it over here and it triggers this other totally different effect and all these cascades and whatever yeah and it can be a little bit overwhelming even though a lot of that stuff is what makes that game fun draftosaurus is the complete opposite where the game is light enough and the game is fast enough that you don't have this weight of like i've committed 45 minutes to this game 
oh my gosh, I only have these three choices. This is terrible. Yeah. It's just like, oh, well, I got to pick a thing. All right, I'll just do this. Often in the mid game, you'll you'll have fewer than three choices. Mm -hmm. You'll have like two choices or you might really only have one choice, which is I can take a dinosaur and put it in this one spot or I can throw it in the river. I can drown it in the river. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That is my choice. (laughs) Anyway, so that's Draftosaurus. The next one. Definitely simultaneous play, completely different kind of game. (laughs) And this is Space Team. Yeah. So we talked a little bit earlier about real-time co-op games. That is what Space Team is. Space Team is a game of looking for the right thing and yelling at each other a lot. So great. (laughs) I love it. It is really enjoyable. It is wacky. And you you have to play in an environment where it's going to be okay to be yelling. Because you will be yelling. It is pretty much impossible to play this game without yelling. And it's not like angry yelling. It's just like, it's like frantic. Pit. It's, it's frantic. It's like yelling. cooperative pit. You're just like, I need the thing with the hammer with the, but it looks like a needle thing with a, I, I don't know how to explain it, but whatever. Like, oh no, oh no, air pressure. Everybody grab on. Yeah. It's like, very silly. Very silly game. Just all kinds of ridiculous stuff. But it is very simultaneous. Space Team does run a little bit the other direction where I would say, do not play this with younger children because it will be overwhelming. Absolutely. There's a lot of sensory overload. If that's a thing that is of concern, you should be mindful of that. And you have to context switch pretty quickly in order to be successful. So you want to be mindful and make sure that you're playing with the right crowd. But boy, howdy, is this game a ball of fun. So how about a real-time game that has less of that craziness and overwhelmingness to it for our last... Yeah, so this is a game that you recommended that we put on this list, and I agree with you that this is a great game, but to be honest, I was concerned at first, until I really started to think about it, that it would be a case of recency bias, because we very recently reviewed this game and reviewed it very highly, I will say. But you know, after thinking about it for a while, I really think the game genuinely is that good. And this is Illiterati from Gap Closer Games. So what I like about Illiterati, and we said this with the review, is that the cooperative nature of it makes it so much more inviting to bring kids in who might not be able to to really be competitive at a word game. Mm. Because they're not being competitive. They're playing with you and you can help them and they're learning and it's not going to be frustrating the way word games usually are for kids between the ages of 7 and 12. Yeah. I, I mean, look, as a parent playing a game like this, you really want to encourage the kids to figure things out on their own. But sometimes they need a little bit of help. And it's a great teaching tool to be able to say, well, these are the letters that we have. I can see a word that you can make out of these. Can you try to figure it out with me? Obviously, you've got time limitations in this game if you're going to play it really close to the rules. You don't have to. You know what I mean? It's it's all a feel thing, I think, with a lot of this stuff. Absolutely simultaneous play, for sure. Um, but it's this game is so good as a collaborative teaching tool. Yeah, it's simultaneous play where you can also reach over and help your neighbor. And in fact, you should occasionally do that to make the game run smoothly. Even playing it with all adults, you can do the like, oh man, I really just, I need a C. I need a letter C to make this work. And somebody will go, oh, I can spare a C mm-hmm. and toss it over to you. Yep. Yep. Well, technically you push it to the middle. Yeah, I know. The other person pulls it out of the middle, depending on how closely you want to adhere to the rules. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So those are our five games that are 
our favorite simultaneous play games. We've got Fleet the Dice Game from Ego Griffin Games, Quacks of Quedlingburg, which I think is no longer with North Star. It's not North Star. I don't know who yeah. has it now. We've got Draftosaurus from Uncama, Flat River Group. We have Space Team, which has a weird publisher I don't remember. It is the same game as the digital app. It's just the card version of it. Yep. And then Illiterati from Gap Closer Games. So now it's your turn. What kinds of simultaneous play games work well with your family? And why do you like them so much? And why did we forget them? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us in the Family Gamers community, please. Yeah, you can head over to the Family Gamers community by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or go to Facebook and search for the Family Gamers community. You can also find us on all of the social media. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter or X. X. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok. You can find us on Threads. Mm -hmm, You can mm -hmm. find us on YouTube at Family Gamers AA on all of those places. If you're an old fogey and you don't like social media, that is okay too. You can email us. We love old fogies. Yes. I want to be negative about old fogies. I was being self-deprecating because I would... Start Call to me an count- old fogey? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> counting myself with the old fogies these days. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, I'm not going to say that. Anyway, you can email me, Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. You can email me, Andrew, at thefamilygamers.com. You can also buy t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and other merch at the Family Gamers merch store. Go to thefamilygamers.com slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to our show. Tell your friends about the show and leave us a review at Apple Podcast or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, and on Spotify. As always, The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. You should go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. Anitra. Yes. We teased a giveaway on our last show or the show before it. I don't even remember. Uh, Somewhere in there. And now it is time to announce the giveaway. Oh, let's do that. We have been soliciting written reviews on Apple Podcasts and on the Google Play Store and on Spotify for a long time. Mm -hmm. We aren't getting that many of them. And I'm not really sure why that is. And that's okay. It is what it is. So if I were to go to the podcast app, I would actually see that we got a review on July 13th. What? I know. That's the first one in like two years. I know. It's, it's true. Nantoro665 left us a review. I think this is after we announced that we were going to a bi show and it says, no, I just want to say I totally understand balancing work and family with an intense hobby or second job is tough, but the written reviews bring information for anyone who needs it. I mean, not many people read a game review for fun. Hey. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the podcast bring both information and entertainment. Either way, I love your podcast. Well, thank you, thank Nantoro665. You. So here's the deal. Nantoro665 is included in the potential winners for this giveaway. So what I'm basically bribing everyone to do is go to Apple Podcast or the Google Play Store or Spotify and leave us an actual written review and then just shoot us an email with your username. And um, we're going to randomly, we'll put you in the, the random number generator on the internet somewhere which is probably seated with something that's not actually random, but the, that's a The Family Gamers thing. Papers in a Hat <laughs> yeah, system. Yeah, the, 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 the bingo ball cage, something. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to figure something out, and we will choose a winner, and that winner will win 
a complete set of the Holiday Hijinks micro game escape room in a box games from the Grand Gamers Guild. Mark Spector at the Grand Gamers Guild reached out and offered this amazing prize. These things rule. We've reviewed some of them on the Mm -hmm. show. Honestly, I have said to Mark, I'm like, listen, here's the deal. I don't want to review them anymore because I just want to buy them and play them. And I just want to enjoy playing them and not have to think about how I'm going to review them without talking (laughs) about the stuff that's in them because then I'm thinking about it too much, not enjoying it. And I just really (laughs) want to enjoy them because they're so good. Yeah. And Mark has been incredibly generous to us in the past. He's been on the show a couple of times and he reached out to offer this prize. So here's the deal. We're going to give you probably two months to leave a review on Apple podcast, on Spotify, on the Google app play store, whatever the Google play store, I think it's what it's called an actual written review. Shoot us an email, either Andrew at the family or Anitra at the family with your username for your review. And if you want to include the review in there, that's great too. And we will pick one of you to win this incredible prize from Mark mm-hmm. and Grand Gamers Guild. So that's it. That's the giveaway. Thanks so much to Mark at Grand Gamers Guild for sponsoring that. Super, super cool of him to do that. And we hope that uh, this blatant bribery will work out. <laughs> <laughs> We'd really appreciate it. <laughs> all right. And that's all I have. I mean, that's certainly all I have. All right. Well, I guess that means that, Anitra, you and I have two weeks to go play some awesome board games okay let's do that and everybody who listens to this and listens in two weeks are going to hear about it so until then everyone play Play games games with with your your kids. kids